Right now, we'll turn our attention to the reading and teaching of God's Word. We've been in a, a sermon series on the prophet Jonah, and today is the last, uh, last sermon in the series. So, uh, to read our scripture passage, I'd like to invite Rosanna to lead us. Our reading today is from Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than a 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. You get what you deserve. Have we ever said this about someone, maybe under our breath? The high school bully, the proud colleague, that senior leadership at work that just speaks down on everyone. When the people that have hurt us get hurt in return. It's a little satisfying, isn't it? There's even a word for it. It's a German word. Scheidenfreude. I probably said that terribly wrong. Scheidenfreude. It means to find joy in someone else's dissatisfaction. To find joy in someone else's humiliation in their suffering. And this sounds a little sinister. I mean, we, we, we don't think like this, but we do. We know what this is like. And in the book of Jonah, we're going to see how Jonah is just so angry, so angry at his enemies, the Ninevites, that all he sees is destruction. All he wants to see is is to feel the satisfaction of their destruction, that they would get what they deserve. But what does God do? God shows us, and God desires to show Jonah that actually God is gracious to even those we least expect. Why? Because God desires salvation and not destruction. And to help us see God's grace, we're going to look at Jonah 4 from two perspectives. The first perspective is our anger that blinds us. And the second perspective is God's grace that helps us see. So where do we see the anger? If you were listening to the scripture reading in verses 1 to 5, this prayer that Jonah makes is angry. So as I'm about to read it, let's see if you can hear and feel the anger. 
But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Do you see how mad Jonah is? And, and what's even more fascinating is why Jonah is mad. What we see here is Jonah is mad at God because God is too kind. God is gracious. God has spared his enemies from destruction. We actually see his heart motivation from chapter 1, way back, where God tells him to go to Nineveh, but he goes to Tarshish. That's the opposite direction. Why? Because he knew that if he sent the Ninevites to, to tell them to repent, that God, because he's gracious, there was a slither of hope for them, a slither of a chance that they wouldn't be destroyed that he wouldn't have the satisfaction of watching them get crushed. And this is how blinded Jonah is by his anger, that he's willing to die. In, in verse 3, it says, he basically says, I'll paraphrase, you know what, Lord, just take me out. If, if I don't get to see them get destroyed, just, just end me. I don't want to live. It sounds childish, doesn't it? I mean, come on, Jonah. We don't think like that. We're not like Jonah, are we? Let's take a moment to put ourselves in Jonah's perspective. Let's see why he feels the anger that he feels. To Jonah, the Ninevites were brutal and violent, and that's what they were known for. They were rough. And they hurt people. And if we were to look at a map of the ancient world, this is Nineveh. And right here, right in the middle, that's Israel. That's a kingdom of Israel, specifically. That's where Jonah is from. That's his hometown. Those are his people. And he knew that Nineveh and all their power, they could very much just crush Israel. He knew that they were a threat he knew, and he heard, and he probably have interacted with the brutality, with the violence. They were known to murder and pillage. So he knew that Israel was next. And because of this, all that Jonah could see was anger. All that Jonah could see was destruction against them. Justice for the wicked. Destruction for them. And God actually commands Jonah previously to, to walk into the city of Nineveh to preach this message of repentance, to tell them to repent. And what does he see? As he walks into the city, does he see people? No. All Jonah sees is objects of destruction, objects of God's wrath. See, what, what Jonah has done is he's dehumanized them. He doesn't even see the Nineveh Ninevites on his level. He doesn't even see them as humans like him. And in the same way that, that he's dehumanized the Ninevites, you know, regardless of who we are, where we grew up, our culture, I mean, we, we do the same thing to those around us too. 
to those who hurt us, to those who deserve it. I mean, in our, in our day-to-day lives, what do we do with people, uh, if you drive, who cut you off? What do you think about them? Or the last time you were in a meeting and you were humiliated by, by that colleague, by that boss, what filled your mind? What, what, what was the one thing that you wanted for them? You wanted the destruction. You wanted them to get what they deserve. All you see is anger and rage. But how about people who are different than us? Who maybe believe things that we just can't believe. That there's no way we have any form of equal ground because you're just so different. What do we think about people who tell us or we find out that they're anti-vax or anti-mask? What do we think about Justin Trudeau, Donald Trump? What are our negative assumptions of other cultures and races that we keep to ourselves? You see, when, when this happens, our anger, our negative assumptions of others, they fill our minds And we stop seeing people as people. We stop seeing them as as the individual that they are. This anger, it, it causes us to not see them as the humans just like us. And this is what Jonah has done. He's dehumanized them. This is what we do. But here's the thing with dehumanizing others. This is actually a very common strategy in war. A common strategy which has led to mass genocides, to the murder of thousands of people. In 1994, the Rwanda genocide, the Tutu officials referred to the Tutsi people as cockroaches that needed to be eradicated. In World War II, the Nazi parties, what did they refer to Jewish people as rats? And that gave them reason to feel their hate where we'd see six million innocent Jewish lives lost. In, in, in America, the Jim Crow era laws were laws put in place for 50 plus years, more than that, that intentionally devalued black Americans because of their skin color. And, and these laws would lead to the lynching, to the brutal murder and, and, and destruction of black American people, innocent people. And in Canada, we assume that it's not here, but it is. And even in our history, in World War II again, when the United States went to war and Japan attacked the United States, and what did the Canadians do? The Canadians gathered up people of Japanese descent, Japanese Canadians. They just gathered them up and took their homes, took their jobs and left them with nothing. Separated parents from kids. See, in each of these instances, these people have been dehumanized. When we dehumanize other, the line crossing into actual destruction is thin. See, this is what happens with the anger inside. This is what it starts with, this blind anger. But we have to ask ourselves, how does God see the Ninevites? How does God see our enemies? And in this example with the Ninevites, God sees people who need grace. Now, they're not innocent. 
God calls them to repentance. They, they have to see the sin that they've done, repent of it. But when they do, God spares them from destruction. God gives them salvation. And this is what our anger can blind us to. God's grace for even our enemies. What does God ask Jonah about his anger? God asks him, do you have the right to be angry? Do you have the right to be so angry that all you see is destruction? I mean, what do we think? Do we have the right? Does Jonah have the right? We don't. But who does? God. God has the right to be angry. Why? Because God powerfully created this universe, created this world. God is completely good and without bad. God can judge the world clearly because he is all-knowing, all-powerful. And what does this God do? When he sees this world, when he sees the wickedness, though he has every right to destroy us and destroy the wicked, God gives compassion. God gives grace. He's compassionate to the Ninevites. When they repent, He spares them from destruction. And this compassion, this is exactly what Jonah has missed. This is what we miss too. Compassion. Um, Theologian and historian Donald Wiseman actually suggests and, and believes that at the time that Jonah went to them, they were suffering. They were in pain and Jonah didn't see it. You see, in the time that Jonah went to them, most likely they were in the war. They were in war with two other nations, which means that they probably lost their most able men, their strongest men. They lost them in war. And not only was there a war, but there was internal conflict. Nineveh was being torn apart from within itself, civil unrest. And on top of that, a famine. A famine that may have lasted for seven years. Jonah misses this. And even though Jonah is sent into the city of his enemies, when he walks the streets of Nineveh, he walks past the suffering of the people. He walks past starving homes. He walks past street markets without food. He's walked past mourning, suffering people. See, this is what our anger does. That Jonah completely misses that the Ninevites were in a national crisis. We have to ask ourselves, in our global crisis, in this pandemic, in the economic downturn that we're seeing, in, in record high unemployment, who have we walked past? Who have we struggled? Or not only struggled, who have we completely missed being compassionate towards? Especially those who've hurt us and our enemies. Have we missed this? Have we missed God's compassion to them? And before I move on to the next point, I, I, I think it's important for us to actually see that Jonah is stubborn. That he stays in his ways. If you look at verse 5, after God asks him the question, do you have the right to be angry? Do you do good to be angry? 
what happens. In verse 5, the setting just changes. It's almost as if Jonah doesn't even answer the question. He's just, uh, just moving on. He's just, I'm going to ignore this. Um, scholars actually believe that Jonah may con- be just continuing in his sulking. And what does Jonah do? He sets up a camp for himself to, to watch Nineveh. And what is he waiting for? Most scholars believe he's waiting for Nineveh to go back to their old ways. He's waiting for Nineveh to be destroyed. That's how eager he is to be satisfied in watching their destruction. But God doesn't leave Jonah in his anger. Through the lesson using a plant and a worm, while Jonah is stubbornly in the sun, just letting it beat down on him, waiting for destruction, God allows the plant to go right above Jonah to provide him with relief. And Jonah loves the plant. He loves this plant. But then God takes a worm to destroy the plant. And Jonah's right back there, right back sulking, just ready to die all over again. Jonah has more remorse for a plant than he does for the lives of the Ninevites. This is what our anger does. It blinds us to the point that we mourn the loss of temporary things. We mourn the loss of material things more than we would lose, more than we would mourn the loss of other people's lives. And so we've seen how our anger blinds us. Now let's shift and contrast that with God's grace that helps us see. And so where do we see God's grace? In verse 10 to 11. And as I'm about to read these verses, let's remember who's saying these words. It's the Lord. It's God. And let's see if we can hear the grace in his words. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? In a parallel of Nineveh and the plant, God shows Jonah that like the plant, God grew the Ninevites. God knew them. He knew them well. He knew them enough to to number how many there were, 120,000. God probably knows their names. And, And the very people that Jonah hates, God knows. God knows that they need his grace. God is showing Jonah, God shows us that his grace is even for those we least expect. God's grace is for our enemies. And so who are our enemies? I mean, we don't use this term in our modern world. We don't refer to others as our enemies. But we have to ask ourselves, are there people in our lives that we just can't fathom that God would be gracious to? Who do we struggle to pray for? That's actually a good start. Jesus, in Matthew 5, actually commands us not only to, to love our neighbors, and we hear that often quoted, but Jesus commands us to love our enemies. And to love them, he also says to pray for them. So who do you struggle to pray for? Who is the person that you're least likely to pray for? The people that you're least likely to think of as you pray. 
Quite a few years ago, Paul and I were in London, UK. Okay, UK, not Ontario. It was my sister's wedding. It was beautiful. And, you know, we, we thought to ourselves, let's just spend a couple of days in London. It's going to be great. We're going to eat great food, crumpets, all that. And we get there. And as we are there, we, we get off the taxi and we head down to the tube. That's what they call the subway. And I'm looking like a typical, you know, tourist. I've got two big luggages. Paul is trailing behind me. And I see a set of stairs into, this, into the tube, into the subway. No one tells you that things are a little different over there. We go down, right, the opposite side of the stairs that they do, just like driving. It's, it's swapped. And so I'm, I'm carrying these luggages, and I see an opening, and I go for it. I run for it. I, I grab my luggages. I'm going for it. I'm going down the stairs. And as I'm going down the stairs, I hear just, just behind me somewhere. I don't even see it. I hear a man say, you bleeping Chinese. Bleeping Chinese. You can replace the word bleep with whatever word you're thinking. That's what he said. And I I didn't process it. I I get to the bottom of the stairs and it hits me. And I'm like, what did he say? Was this man just racist to me because I went down the stairs on the wrong side? I dropped my luggages and I ran up the stairs. I wanted to find this man. I don't even know what this man looks like. I didn't see his face, but I heard his voice. I wanted to find him. And I I wanted to, mm, I wanted to fight him. I'm not going to lie. I wanted to really let him know what I was thinking of him. I saw destruction. I saw anger. And if if I had a chance to take a photo of him, if I had a chance to video him saying what he said, I'd put that online. I want him to lose his job. I want him to lose his livelihood. You see, Do I pray for this man? Do I pray for this racist and hateful man? No. I mean, maybe after this sermon, I'll I'll, I'll think about it. I probably should. But I don't. I don't even think about it. And as much as I don't know this man's face, I don't even know what he looks like. You know who does? God does. God knows what he looks like. God knows his name. God knows that he needs grace as much as I need grace. And in the book of Acts, we learn about a man named Saul. And if if you heard of Saul or you haven't, Saul hated Christians. Saul hated Christians enough to drag him from their homes, to beat them, to murder them. This is how much Saul hated Christians. And what does God do with him? What does Jesus do with him? Jesus reveals himself to Saul. Saul repents. Saul turns his way. And even the people who are closest to Jesus, they don't. They don't believe it. They're like, what? This is Saul who, who believes what we believe now? You see, this is the beauty of God's grace is like Saul, like this man in London, like our enemies, like the people we completely disagree with. God shows us that he desires for all to repent and find salvation in him because God desires salvation and not destruction. God desires all to come to him. And and real quickly, in verse 11, it describes how the Ninevites, they don't know their right hand from their left hand. What does this mean? They were without any concept of moral direction. They were lost. And God sees this. Why? Because God's heart, God's, God loves the lost. 
And if you've been tracking with me, you might be thinking, this isn't fair. They've done wrong. They deserve destruction. They should get what's coming to them. How is this just? How can they just walk away? This is not fair. If we're going to talk about fairness, we're going to have to consider what's fair for us. You see, in our anger, our anger towards our enemies, we completely stop seeing God's anger towards us. Colossians 1.21 describes how once, as a Christian, how you and I, if you're a Christian, we were alienated from God. It says that we were enemies of God because of our evil behavior. Did you hear that? We are God's enemies. And as God's enemies, He has every right to destroy us. He has every right to be angry at us. And the judgment and destruction that we so eagerly want for others, we were spared from. But listen, here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ is where justice and compassion meet. It's it's through Jesus Christ that God's justice is completely satisfied. It's through Jesus Christ that God shows us His compassion and it's revealed to us. You see, the destruction that we deserve, Christ takes it on Himself on the cross. Our sin, He takes it in death. And God's compassion, like Jonah, God sends Jesus to give us this news of repentance so that we would have salvation. Like a friend beautifully shared with me, like Jonah, Christ is cast into the storm of God's anger. Like Jonah, Christ is tossed in the sea of death. Like Jonah, Christ would come to preach repentance. But unlike Jonah, Christ comes to us willingly. Unlike Jonah, Christ walked in our world and sees us with compassion. Like Jonah, Christ desires and rejoices in our repentance and our salvation. To see God's grace is to see Christ. Christ is the very embodiment of the command to love our enemies. Why? Because Christ dies for his enemies. He dies for you and I. It's in Christ that those who deserve utter destruction find grace. It's in Christ that people of all nations, tribes, and tongues, all people, rich or poor, can come to God. This is how sinners like you and I find salvation from destruction. 
This is how we see God's grace in Christ. So what now? What do we do with all of this? You know, as much as Jonah is not a role model for us, we do see Jonah doing something. He goes to God. He goes to God freely. There's such an intimacy. And and if you are a Christian, this is the relationship that you have with God. That you can go to Him with your anger. You can go to Him with your frustrations and, and, and all these things. Go to Him. And you might be wrong, like Jonah. But how does Jonah answer God? How does God answer Jonah? God answers like a parent, firm, but lovingly, with grace. If you're not a Christian, you're, you're trying to figure this all out. What do, we, what do you do with your anger? Where does that go? Do you just let it bubble up and, until you just pop? Do you do things to distract yourself? Well, as strange as this sounds... This invitation is for you too. Go to God. Your doubts, your questions, your anger, go to God. Go to Him. And the last thing I just want to say for us to consider is that just like Jesus Christ dies for His enemies and comes to His enemies, we too are commanded to go to our enemies and this is going to be hard. Just like Jonah, this will be difficult. And for some of us who may have been deeply hurt or deeply abused, this is incredibly difficult. But for you, the start of your journey might just look like asking God to see them as how He sees them. And and for for others, is, is it your siblings? Is it your Parents, who are your enemies? Who are those that you need to see how God sees? Do we see our enemies as God sees his enemies? Do we see his grace? Amen.